Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, it's so good to have all of you. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you that wonder what the clapping's about. <laughs> um, so somebody asked me, uh, was I going to speak anymore, I guess. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so I'm back, because uh, some of those of you on all of our campuses, let me go ahead and welcome all of our campuses, Bluntstown, Chipley, Wakala, and Mariana, because, um, so for the last 12 weeks, many of you noticed that I've only spoke about four times, and didn't all the other speakers do an amazing job? Didn't they do a great job? Yeah, let's give it up for all them. Great job. So some of you have asked, well, what have you been doing, Paul? It's like, you know, what, what are you doing here, um, you know, without not speaking? Are you traveling all the time? No. We've been working on some things, and next week, we're starting a new series entitled Brand New. It's a five-week series, and we're going to tell you about some of the brand new things that God is doing in RCC and some brand new things that we've been working on behind the scenes, and, and it's just really awesome. It's really awesome, and I'm just telling you, I'm so humbled to be able to be a part of a church like Rivertown Community Church, where we're making a difference in five different communities and different regions all across the Panhandle and now in Alabama, and it's just absolutely, I'm just messing some of you up really, really bad, and uh, so it's like, you just need to come back next week, and, and you'll, you'll, just, you'll just see some amazing things that God is doing locally and globally, and uh, I'm excited to be a part of that. And so that's kind of some of the things I've been working on. And then this past week, Melody and I, um, we left last Thursday, and we got back into town Friday, and we went on a little vacation, and um, kind of did our summer vacation. And so we spent um, Monday through about Thursday in the New England states, and uh, we went to Plymouth, Massachusetts, and, and Boston, Massachusetts, and of course we did the whole thing where the pilgrims did, you know, we did a whole tour in Plymouth with that, that was pretty amazing. It was a little overwhelming for me. I mean, I have got found myself getting really emotional about that process of going, wow, man, it's the sovereignty of God that we are a country, we're a nation, and then uh, we walked the Freedom Trail all through Boston, and like in one day, my wife, she got 20,000 steps on her, on her Fitbit thing, so she was like really proud, but buddy, she was exhausted at the end of the day. I'm like, okay, do you want to do something else tonight? She's like, no, let's go to sleep. Anyhow, so um, <clears throat> some of you, some of you are slow, but anyhow, the rest of you got it. Anyhow, so um, we'll edit that out of what goes online, right? Okay, but um, <clears throat> so yeah, we did the whole Boston thing, and it was really cool, and, uh, and it was really, I mean, it was really neat to see uh, the history of our country and um, just from a different perspective. And it gave me a whole new sense of just clarity and understanding because as you saw in the title bumper that we just said, in about three days, uh, our country is like three days away from consuming more hot dogs than, you know, in our country than we can imagine, like 150 million. You know, it's just kind of crazy when you think about it. And here's the reality. We kind of set aside July the 4th as a national holiday to celebrate our nation's independence, Right? And a lot of us are really confused about what that means, our nation's independence. And as I was, we were traveling around, if, you, if you've ever been around me when I'm in crowds and groups of people, I'm a people watcher and I'm a people listener. And I try to listen in on conversations and hear what people are saying. And one of the things I picked up on this trip is that people are really confused about what it means for July the 4th celebration about what is our nation's independence and our nation's freedom. Because, see, for most of us, we don't even know all the details. I mean, it was kind of interesting watching many of your faces as we did this um, little survey with you. Because most of you are like, oh, that was kind of the reaction. Most people are, oh, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to say 
that um, I got all but one of them. I didn't, get, I didn't get the song one about the pilgrim's feet, you know, which I should have after going to Plymouth. But anyhow, um, so, <clears throat> you know, for most of us, this whole thing of celebrating July the 4th, it's not about celebrating our nation's freedom and independence. It's more about celebrating what has become in 21st century our personal freedom and independence. And so today what we want to do is we want to spend some time looking at that unspoken part of the American dream that it's a definition that we've created in the 21st century that has a downside to it. Because we've moved from celebrating our nation's independence and freedom to making it more about our personal independence and freedom. And there's a real big downside to that because kind of here's what, here's really what our 21st century definition of freedom and independence is, and that is this. Because of my freedom, I should be able to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And see, for many of us, We go, yeah, that's right. But then we go, oh, yeah, but I'm a Christ follower. And so we go, well, I should be able to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And I I hear so many Christ followers saying that, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Well, here is the problem with living with this definition of freedom for any period of time. Eventually, you will hurt someone. Eventually, you will. I mean, let me help you understand it this way. I mean, there's, there's like three or four different groups of people that you'll hurt, and you may never thought about it this way, because you think about it this. When, when anything else bumps into me, when, when anything else or anyone else has any tension with me, and this is not just true for me, but it's true for you, who, who am I going to default to when anything or anyone kind of has any tension to me? I'm going to default to me, right? Isn't that our natural tendency? We, we default to ourselves, and so what ends up happening, as long as our definition is, I will do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, we, we're eventually going to hurt someone. We'll hurt those people around us because we always have that natural tendency to default to ourselves. But that's not the only group of people that we're hurt is those around us, and most of us never thought about this, but eventually that someone that you'll hurt there will be you. Because if you think about it this way, when today me has tension with tomorrow me, or next week me, or future me, guess who wins? Today me wins, because we're such a culture of instant gratification, and when today me wins, then guess what happens? That normally will hurt future me. And then there's one that we never think about, but most of us, most every one of us listening, we have experienced this. If you live with the mindset, if your definition of freedom and independence is, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do, with who I want for very long, you hurt the people coming after you. You really do that. And most of you, you understand that way too well. Because you have been hurt by the dysfunction in your family, and the dysfunction in your family, it was because of someone before you. Because they took their definition of freedom way too far. They said, I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And it hurt you, and it hurt your whole family, and it has created dysfunction upon dysfunction. 
which really kind of means we all have a decision to make as we think about this definition of freedom and independence, and that is this. Do I want to pass down the same kind of hurt to the next generation that was passed down to me because that was somebody else's definition of freedom and independence? Now, if you really think about it, this old attitude, I mean, it looks different at all different stages of our life. I mean, what do we call it when we're two years old? I mean, we're kind of born wanting this definition. I mean, we call it at two years old, the terrible what? Yeah, the terrible twos, you know? Some of you can't even mention the word because it's too painful, right? It's just a terrible, I'm like, oh, man. You know, and then we kind of get to the teenage years and our parents think they about have us calmed down, Right? And we all remember when we were teenagers, right? Remember that? Remember when you were a teenager? I can remember basically the year it hit me. When I started having the attitude of, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do I remember that. I mean, I was like around 13 years of age, right in that age when I just hit the teenage years. And my parents, I mean, they thought that I was like possessed with the devil at that point. I mean, because I really did, I had that attitude, and I remember my mom was going to spank me for like the, it was like the last time she ever did, because I mean, I, I deserved it, I really did, and she, she was going to try it, and I was like, I was so, like, going to be my own person, and she finally looks at me, and she says, Paul, I love you, tears running down her eyes, and she says, but here's the deal, she says, I hope you don't go to prison, and I hope you don't go to hell, but there's nothing else I can do for you. And I was going to prove to her I was going to be so independent. I was like sucking it up. I wasn't going to let her. I didn't cry about hurting my mom like that for years to come. So I was like, you know, I was going to be me, my freedom, my independence. Remember, remember when it hit you? Because it hit every one of us. And then I was a senior in high school. You remember being a senior in high school? Oh, my goodness, a senior in high school. You're at the top of the world in your mind. You know, and I remember being there, a senior in high school, and at this point, I'm a senior, so all the world should give me all the freedom and independence I want, because now I'm like on the verge of being an adult. And so you start feeding that appetite, and then there was that first year after you graduated from high school. Remember that? So then at that point in time, mom and dad should not be able to say anything, because I want to do what I want, when I want, because with whom I want, because I'm an adult, Now, here's the problem with all that, and we don't think about it. I mean, we don't think about it when we hit the teenage years and we start locking into this mindset that, you know, I should be able to have all the freedom and all the independence, that I should be able to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. When we start living with this attitude here, when we start living with this attitude, what we do is we start feeding our appetite for more autonomy, more personal independence. That's what we start doing. And as life goes on and we keep feeding that appetite, don't miss that word, we keep feeding that appetite, we feed it in our 20s and then we feed it in our 30s and we feed it in our 40s and our 50s. It's why when some of us, we find ourselves in our 40s and 50s and even our 60s and we wonder why we always get so cranky whenever we have to default to someone else. Whenever we have to defer to someone else, and, and even sometimes that person that we, we get cranky with, and we go, why do I get so cranky when I have to default to my spouse or my children, the people that we love the most in our life? And here's why. Because there is this, don't miss this, there is this raging appetite inside every one of us that says to some degree or another, I want to do what I want when I want with whom I And this raging appetite 
inside of all of us. It has led us as a country to experience a downside of freedom that our forefathers, the people who founded this country, they never anticipated. And most of us, we didn't anticipate the downside in the outcomes of our life. And so here's where we're kind of at. Instead of experiencing the United States of America as our founding fathers had wanted us to experience, because they, they were about giving their lives. I mean, as I read all the different things and toured all of Boston and, and even in, in Plymouth where the pilgrims landed, I mean, these people were about giving their lives for the benefit of other people. But now we've kind of got this idea of independence and freedom is all about me. And so as a result, instead of experiencing the United States of America, we're experiencing the United States of America. And we know when you make it all about you, it's never good. It always leads to disastrous outcomes. Now, to kind of help us understand this, and this is not just new to our country in the 21st century. This has happened before. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's recorded for us a part of the nation of Israel's history. And and, and it happens during, right after Moses had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and where in Egypt they were slaves, remember that? And, And then Moses, he leads them through the wilderness, and he takes them to the edge of the promised land, and then he dies. And then Joshua, who Moses handed off the leadership baton to, he he takes them into the promised land. And and things go really well for the nation of Israel as long as Joshua was alive and as long as Joshua was their leader. Because even though he wasn't their king, he was the established leader of the people. And not only did they have a leader in Joshua, but they had a law, the law of God, in which to live by. And the way that was supposed to work for the nation of Israel was, okay, I'm going to give you some leaders, but God is your king. And you have God's law. And so basically the nation of Israel was to be a nation with God's law without a human king. Now that was just kind of unheard of in ancient history. So Israel was very unique because God was their invisible king. They were being led by an invisible king. While they were a nation under God's authority and God's law, they were being led by God who was their invisible king. So Joshua gets them set up to operate this way, and they start operating this way under Joshua, and then Joshua, he dies. And then Israel enters into this period known as the period of the judges. And this period of the judges, it lasted about 300 years after Joshua died. And and this was the period when the people were supposed to obey God's law. And then God in each generation would establish a judge to administer the law for the nation of Israel. And the end result was disastrous. Not because of the way it was designed, but because of the people's definition of freedom and independence. In fact, they went through like seven cycles of this. Here's what would happen to them. They would disobey God's law, and then as a result of disobeying God's law, they would experience some kind of disaster. I mean, there would just be disastrous results, because whenever you make it about you, it always leads to some kind of disaster. And then they would cry out to God, and God would deliver them. And if you read the book of Judges in the Old Testament, you understand they go through this cycle for about seven times. And then once God would deliver them, every time that God would deliver them, they'd go, okay, we're never going to do that again. And so this goes on for multiple generations. 
And at the end of the book, after living this way and living this way and living this way, being all about themselves, at the very end of the book of Judges, there's this final statement, and it's this really sad commentary that happens when our definition of freedom and independence becomes, I want to do, or because of my freedom, I should be able to do what I want to do when I want to do with whom I want to do it with. Here's, here's the sad commentary on it. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Literally, everybody did what they wanted, when they wanted, with whom they wanted. In fact, you could call this the united nation of Israel because everybody was about themselves. They're like, I, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do, and it was a total disaster. I mean, you got to think about it. The story of this season of the history of Israel, it ends, and there's no one who is a hero. There's no one who came in and redeemed the situation. I mean, there's nothing good that comes out. It's just this statement that says everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And here's the reality. In our divided country, this is a little bit too much of the commentary about us. And it's not what our founding fathers had in mind. So today what I want to do is I want to help us go to like a new level of living as followers of Christ. And, and to do that, I want to go back to a period of Israel history right at the beginning of the book of Judges. And it's such a different contrast at the beginning of the book of Judges to the end of the book of Judges. So let's go back to Joshua. So Joshua, he's about to die and he gathers the nation of Israel together, and he's about to send them off on their own, and, and Joshua is really worried about them. And so he gives them this speech, and, and Joshua speaks to the people. In fact, here's what he says to the nation of Israel. Notice what he says. He says, now be sure, this is kind of like his last will and testament. He's like, these are the most important things you need to know. He says, now fear the Lord. Literally, put God first. Make, you know, have awe and reverence for God. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And so Joshua goes on and, and he does this long speech and he's warning them not to make it about themselves. And, and, and then the people, they, they respond to him like most of us would have. And it says, then the people answered Joshua, far be it from us to forsake the Lord or serve other gods. And here's why they say that they wouldn't do that. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. So they're basically saying, Joshua, you don't really have to worry about us because we're going to remain faithful to God. We don't ever want to go back and serve a foreign king again. We remember that Pharaoh guy, that king of Egypt, and what it was like for our parents to be under his leadership. I mean, it was enslaving. So we made a decision that God is our king. You don't have to worry about us, Joshua. We're not going back that way. We're not going to live that way again. And if you continue to read the text, Joshua used to warn them and to be careful. And they keep saying, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And he keeps saying, no, you need to really be careful. Are you going to slip back into that behavior? But he even says, you know, you kind of think you've got this down pat, but you don't. And the people go, no, no, we will serve the Lord because he is our God. And Joshua says, okay, but I'm warning you, don't. Don't slip back to serving other gods. And then Joshua dies. 
And I don't want you to miss this. Don't, don't miss this. I mean, these people, they buried Joshua. And, and it's like, and I know the time was a little bit longer than this in Scripture, but, but it's almost like they had barely put the leftover fried chicken and mashed potatoes in the refrigerator from the lunch after the dinner at Joshua's funeral. And I want you to look what they're doing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And someone's like, did they have fried chicken and mashed potatoes at Joshua's funeral? Yeah, you should read your Bible. Anyhow, no, I'm just saying. But I want you to notice, they're doing exactly what Joshua warned them not to do. Look at what the text says. Here's what it says. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped the various gods of the people around them. Literally, they did like so many of us who call ourselves Christ followers. They started looking around at other people and going, well, everybody else is doing it and everybody else is getting away with it. And the next thing you know, they abandon their invisible king, God, their invisible king. And not only did they abandon God, their invisible king, but they in abandoned the law of God. And they just immersed themselves in the culture of the Canaanites. After they swore, we will never go back. And it was bad what they did. I'm going to show you what they did in just a moment. In fact, it's so bad. Notice what it says about God's reaction. They aroused the Lord's anger. I mean, he's not angry at them. He's angry at what's going to happen to them because of their behavior. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and they served Baal and the Asherahs. Now, Baal and the Asherahs are basically, the Asherahs is a female uh, kind of counterpart of Baal. And here's, here's the problem. The problem with worshiping Baal, that Baal worship, it wasn't simply that Baal and the Asherahs um, symbolized idolatry because you know the children of Israel had the Ten Commandments. God gave them the Ten Commandments and they weren't supposed to have any other images that represented any other gods. So that was a big no-no for them. But the primary problem with this, or one of the primary problems was that everything that went along with worshiping Baal and the Asherahs, See, if, if you stop and think about it, and, and this is a sad commentary on a nation when it gets to this level, but the Canaanite religion was focused basically solely around self-preservation. I mean, th their focus was self-preservation at any cost. So, for example, well, when there wasn't any rain or might, there might be some kind of famine in the land, they, they would like say, okay, in order to appease our gods, our gods are more valuable than the people around us, and they would sacrifice people to their gods, and not just adult people, but even their children. That's why this aroused God's anger. In fact, there was one period in the history of the Canaanites where they required the richest people in their town or in their kingdom to sacrifice their first born children. So if you were like one of the rich people, one of the rich families, your firstborn child had to be sacrificed to these gods. Because that was in their minds, that's the way they could keep their gods' attention and that way they could keep their gods on their side because we, we, we're so dedicated to these gods that we'll sacrifice our firstborn child. And God is just like going to the nation of Israel. His anger's aroused. He's literally saying, you can't be part of that. You, you can't be part of that lifestyle. The next thing you know, the nation of Israel, they have dipped into this horrible, horrible lifestyle. 
In fact, notice what he goes on to say. And his anger against the Israelites, in his anger against the Israelites, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom, and don't miss this line, if you have your notes open, you might want to underline this, whom they were no longer able to resist. Basically, what God is saying is this. You know, you, you're following these people. You like their culture. You want their, what they want. He says, I'm going to let you be conquered and overtaken by the people you followed. I mean, think about it. They abandoned God freely. And they followed all the people and the culture around them. They, they literally, without realizing it, in the end, by abandoning God and following the culture, they surrendered their freedom. They, they thought they were gaining more freedom and more independence by ignoring God and his law. But in the end, as you're going to see, they, they surrendered their freedom. And here's the thing that always slips up on us. Here's the thing that we never see coming until it's too late. And here's the thing that this cycle of, or this attitude of, I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. Here's what it does to us. It's this. I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and we like it because we feel free. And then all of a sudden it's like... I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And we're like, it doesn't fulfill me anymore. It doesn't do anything for me. It feels so empty. I need more. And then it's like, I want to do what I want, with whom I want, when I want. I can't resist it anymore. I can't quit. See, when we live with this mindset right here, this attitude, and this is our definition of independence and freedom what we end up doing is we abandon god as our king and we trade and substitute god as our king for another little god a substitute god and that little substitute god it always enslaves us it always holds us captive and eventually we're kind of like israel who traded one king their god their creator god for another king, this Canaanite king, and then they found themselves in this place where they're no longer able to resist. They willingly walked away from God, and they found themselves in a place where they could not freely just go back to where they were. And here's what I don't want you to miss. When you feed this appetite of, I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, you will simply trade God as your creator, as your sustainer, as your life giver, your Lord and Savior king for another little substitute king who will enslave you. In fact, the truth is we all have our story about that, don't we? I mean, even if you didn't grow up as a Christ follower, I mean, we, we, we grew up and, and, and maybe you were a Christ follower. You grew up in church and, and you kind of were taught about Jesus and you were taught about the Ten Commandments and you kind of had this conscience about right and wrong. And then at some point in your life, and I think every one of us, we go through this probably multiple times in our life, 
You just kind of decided, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do for a season. I, I'm tired of always trying to be the good person. I'm always tired of just trying to be Christian. And, you know, I don't, people don't respect me and like me any better even when I try to do good. I'm, I'm just tired of being this church person. I don't get it right all the time. And people call me a hypocrite. I'm just so tired of that. And I'm just tired of this. And maybe for you, your process was slow or gradual. Maybe for others of you, it's like it was immediately. You just walked away and said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want with whom I want. And so you start going down that path. And in the end, you realize, I didn't gain any freedom. In fact, this is what you realize instead. My expression of freedom actually ended up and resulted in a loss of freedom. And the reason that's true of your story is because when you trade God as your king... For any other king, that little substitute king always enslaves you. You just trade one king for another one that enslaves you. Now, here's what you know when you think about this. I mean, this is incredible. It's, it's, and it's so important for us to understand. You, you didn't create yourself. See, we want independence and freedom kind of like a, like a two-year-old toddler does. You know, they want their independence and freedom, but you know you can't take, they can't take care of themselves. And when you stop and think about it, we, we know that we, are always, we were all created by someone. So something or someone created us, which means there is a creator and you were create a creation. Which means when someone created you, you weren't created to be autonomous. You weren't created to be all independent and all on your own. We, so when, what happens is, is whenever we seek this autonomy... By saying no to the king who created us, we always are going to find ourselves subject to another substitute king. There's, there's no such thing in our country, or as for us as human beings, as total independence and freedom. I mean, I know I want that in my spirit. I mean, like when that old fleshly self, I, you know, I want it. We all want it. I mean, it's kind of been, become part of the definition of the American dream. But when you really think about it, until you can control your death and, or uh, control your birth and refuse your death, you're really not in control of your life. And not only that, when you try to be like all independent, you know, it's all about you, that kind of thing, nobody likes you anyhow. I mean, they call that selfish, right? And self-centered. So you were created, don't miss this, you might even want to write this down. You were created by God to be ruled. Not controlled, but ruled. Not in a harsh way. And we sang about it this morning. His love never fails. His love never gives up on us. You are, control, you are created by God to be ruled by this loving, merciful, gracious, kind, compassionate king. And when you say no to that king, you simply are choosing a different king. And you know what that king that you're choosing instead of God is? It's a God called the appetite. And all appetites are the same, and we have different appetites that we go after and we pursue, but whichever appetite you free, feed, it does what? It grows. And so one day, you choose an appetite over God, and, and then a few weeks and a few months and maybe a few years later down the road, you're, you're going, I chose this appetite, but now I can't say no. Now you're ruled by your new little king. And all of that addiction and all of that bondage and all of that emptiness is the result of chasing total autonomy and total freedom and total independence from God. In fact, some of you 
kind of your path for freedom and independence. It's like, it's not so much that you want to be rebellious against God. It's just like, I'm just going to forge my own path in life. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. You know, my family of origin is not going to repeat itself. I mean, history is not going to repeat itself in my family. And so then you just kind of take matters in your hands and, and you march your own way. In fact, the writer of Scripture said this. He says, that's called leaning on your own understanding. But either way, you kind of abandon God in your direction and your path for, for where you should go with your life, and you follow your own way. And I'm just going to tell you something. I, I've been pastoring for 25 years now, but whether a man or a woman intentionally or accidentally turns their back on greater God, I can tell you this is true every time. Whenever a man or a woman or a child or a student intentionally or accidentally turns their back on God, here's what I can promise you, your family history will repeat itself. It will. Because, see, you were made to be ruled, not controlled, but led by God, your king. And your best bet, your best bet for breaking the chain of your family's history is not doing what you want, how you want, with whom you want, when you want. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, that's how your family dysfunction got started in the first place, right? And think about it. If there is creator God, and we believe there is, and there's this creator God that we sang about this morning who loves you, who created you, who understands you, and, and he wants good for you. If there's a God that says, not only do I want good for your generation, but I want good for your children's generation and, and your grandchildren's generation. I want something better for them. Then why wouldn't you say yes to him? And if you're here today and you're just kind of checking out this whole Christianity thing and you're kind of borderline on this whole Christianity thing and you're trying to, tr trying to figure it all out, do, is this God thing right or real, Jesus thing, is it right or real? Is, is God loving or condemning, that kind of thing? Or maybe you're from a different kind of religion, or maybe you consider yourself even a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me just ask all of you this one question. Here's the question. Why is it that it's always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the thing you substitute for God? Why is that true? Why is it always easier to say no to God? Why is it always easier to say no to God than to ultimately say no to the thing that you substitute for God in your life? I mean, think about it. Why is it so much easier to say, God, I know she's not good for me, or God, I know he's not good for me, or God, I know I've got no business moving in, or God, you know, I have no business seeing her or him on the side. God, I know all these things. God, I know this. But God, I want to do what I want to do. I want my freedom and my independence. Well, why is it so much easier to say no to God than to the thing that you substituted or that person that you substituted for God? Why? Here's part of why. Because God allows us freedom to say no. God allows us freedom to say no. And I'm going to tell you, because God allows us freedom, this is hard for all of us. Because when you're born into this world, you're born into this world with a desire to write your own story, to be your own person. And I'm going to tell you, if you're born in America, you're really born into this culture that says you should be your own person. You should write your own story. But God, as creator king, says, no, no, no. You weren't born into this world to be your own person, to write your own story. You were born to play a role. 
and make an impact in your life or with your life in the story that God is writing throughout history. Let's just go ahead and be honest. I mean, you remember it from our teenage years. You know, it often seems less painful of a decision in the short term to abandon God and his story than to submit to God and his authority. Because it's all about our freedom and independence. But I tell you, in the long run, you know this if you've experienced any life. We don't possess the clarity for our life and our direction that our creator possesses for our life. In fact, here's what you understand. And, and you either learn this in life the hard way or the easy way. And that is this. You understand that true maximum freedom is found under the canopy of God's authority. I mean, maximum freedom is never found in chasing absolute independence and freedom. It's found under the canopy of God's authority. See, under God is where freedom exists. Under all these other little kings that we substitute for God, our freedom is stifled. Our freedom is destroyed. Now, here's what's interesting. At the end of this part of Israel's history, I want you to notice what happens. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of a king of Cain. I'm not going to try to pronounce all those names. To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. It's kind of like God says, you know what? You, you like the Canaanite culture so much? Well, I'm going to give you the Canaanite king for your leader. And for eight years... They were enslaved. They're subject to that king. They suffered under a king whose culture they had embraced. They, they suffered under the rulership of a king whose gods they had chosen to worship instead of their one true God. And then at the end of eight years, underneath all of that stifling of their freedom and their independence, they throw their hands up to God and they say, God, we have sinned. God, we thought that in trying to express our independence and freedom, we would have more freedom and independence. And God, we realize that in trying to express our freedom and independence, we didn't gain any. In fact, it cost us our freedom and independence. We gave it away. And they cry out to God as they did for like cycle after cycle in the book of Judges. God, would you deliver us? And God says, yes, because I love you. You're my people. And I think this is one of the most amazing things about the Christian faith that is illustrated throughout the history of the nation of Israel is that God is a God of mercy and God is a God of love and God is a God of forgiveness and he will not force his way on you. He, he values your freedom too much. He'll, he'll let you choose. But God knows that maximum freedom is found under the canopy of his authority, which is why the only way for you to have a love relationship with God is for God to give you the freedom to go and do what you want to do. And then for God to express the grace and the mercy and the love that he would express in order to receive you back to himself. I mean, just like he took Israel, this is such a powerful thing, just like he took Israel back over and over and over in the Old Testament, when they would reject him, he would take them back and say, you're my children, I love you. Here's the good news for every one of you today, and that is this. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter whether you've abandoned God, rejected God, he will take you back over and over and over again because he created you and he loves you. And I'm just going to tell you this. There's nothing that gives us greater joy as a church than to celebrate the return of someone who, who's been serving these little kings that have had them in bondage. But here's the tragedy of all that. And, and if you're younger, man, listen to this. This is so important. See, when you abandon God in your 20s, 
in your 30s and your 40s, and, and maybe you can't recognize that in your 40s or 50s, you can't go back and get your 20s back. You can't get your 30s back. You can't go back and reparent your children. You can't show up to things that you should have showed up for. You can never have that first marriage again. Those years and those experiences, once they're gone, they're gone. And the sad part is we, all of us, we spend too many years of our life wasting it, serving a little king who cares nothing about you or your future. And so as we celebrate this week, as we go into this week of celebrating our nation's freedom and our nation's independence, I want to warn you that we all go into it with this appetite that I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. We all go in with that maybe in the back of our mind is maybe of our definition of true freedom. And make sure you understand this. And don't be deceived. If, if you go into this week and, and the following weeks of your life feeding that appetite of I want to do, when I want to do, what I want to do, with whom I want to do, all you do is you trade your creator, God, King, who really loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he died on a cross to take all the punishment and all the anger of God for any sin you ever have or ever will commit on himself. And so God is not angry at you, and God does not want to punish you. He took it all out on his son, Jesus Christ. See, so if you, if you feed that appetite, all you do is trade a God and a king who loves you and wants the best for you for another little substitute king who will enslave you and take away all your freedom. See, if you really want freedom, you choose to serve the king who absolutely offers freedom, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, not the ones that stifle all our freedom. Because I'm telling you, folks, maximum freedom is found under the canopy of God's authority. So our question this week is, will you make this your week? Will you make this your day to say, God, that I'm choosing to come under the canopy of your authority? I've kind of done it my own way and kind of been my own boss, and man, it's cost me in ways I never imagined. So today, I'm choosing that true path of freedom, and I'm telling you folks, it is the only way. Choosing God as our authority, as our king, it is the only way for us to experience the United States of America. It's the only way for you to experience the United States of your marriage, the United States of your family, the United States of your workplace. When your definition of independence and freedom is, it's all about me, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. It never brings unity. Unity only comes under the canopy of God's authority. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this incredible opportunity as we go into a week where we celebrate our nation's independence and freedom. I really pray that you will help every one of us to um, just do a lot of self-examination. Help us to celebrate the freedoms that that gives us. But at the same time, I pray that you'll remind us that it's not about us. It's still about you and what you want to do in and through our lives. And that under the canopy of your authority is where we truly find freedom for life where we can find unity of oneness and in spirit with those that we live with and those that we work with and those that we serve in our communities with. But God, I just want to thank you most of all 
that no matter where we're at in our relationship with you this morning, that we can know that your love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on us. And all we have to do is turn toward you, and you receive us with open arms because you don't want to punish us, and you're not angry at us. You love us as your children. Thank you, God, for this incredible celebration that we get to have as we think about your love this week. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.